welcome to the ABC to CEO Preparing for the Possibility podcast. I'm Sharon Feeler, and today I'm honored to be joined by Jenny Juss, co-founder of Peak Six and co-founder of Poker Power. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Jenny is a visionary powerhouse and one of the few self-made female billionaires in the United States. From the days of cutting her teeth on the trading floor in Chicago to now running a fintech empire, she has started and are turned around more than 15 companies. We are so excited to have her on our show today to discuss her career, as well as her mission to help prepare the next generation of female leaders, a goal we both have in common. Jenny, welcome to the show. Could you start by telling us some initial decisions you made early in your career that helped you in the long run? First of all, thank you for having me here today. I'm thrilled to be part of the podcast. Very fortunate because we have similar missions and goals, which is to to help the future women achieve the goals they want to achieve. And I think when I look back, honestly, we, we talk about shooting the arrow and drawing the circle around. I didn't know necessarily at the time what was helping me. But when I look back, the one thing I was really good at doing was saying yes, meaning if somebody asked me to try something new, try a different role or position, work in a different department, right? I didn't know, honestly, to say no. So I, I would just say yes. But each one of those moments was a great opportunity to expand something we call compound experience. It's a little bit like compound interest, right? If I have principal and I have an interest and I, and I get interest on my principal, I'll if I then get my interest, I get interest on my interest, right? And so I have an exponential growth. I was able to do that really early in my career by saying yes, early, I took risk early. Those experiences compounded on each other to allow me to do things probably early in my career than the average person. So I had not only started a company inside the company I worked for, but then I started Peak Six and I was in my late 20s. So I'd already I'd already done two companies at that point in my career. So I think that was early experiences, that early risk-taking was really critical. When I used to have, um, when I actually worked full-time and had a staff, I would always tell uh, the people, my team, that, you know, when you go into a meeting and a senior person asks you to do something and you think, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do that, don't say that. You go into these things saying, let me look into that and see how I can make that happen. And I think it's kind of the same thing. You you probably, people can do more than they realize and never kind of put your cards out, so to speak, uh, until you really know what you have. It's funny that you say that exact example someone used yesterday. And I know we're going to get to poker, but you were essentially bluffing, right? You don't have the perfect hand to show but you don't have to show your hand, right? You can keep that to yourself and you can make a decision if you want to play it or not play it, but it's up to you on how you play that hand. So don't give away the hand before you even thought about what the best outcome would be for you. So I love that example. In your own career, how is the bluffing part of it so important? I mean, you know, we always talk about that. That doesn't mean an untruth. It just means- all the information to yourself, how would you explain it? I, I like to say it's not lying or cheating, right. right? That is not the point. And this is something I learned really early. So when I worked on the Chicago Board Options Exchange floor, right, we're buying and selling options on stocks all day long. Well, what's the real price? 
right? What What is the real price? It's just what two people agree on. So when we're in a negotiation, whether it's about a salary, it's about a deal, it's about a product, there's two of us who are going to decide. Maybe it's a, it's a larger group, but ultimately there's no right price. It's what we agree. I may think it should be higher. I may not have sort of all the resources I need to make the price higher than I, than I want it to be. Let's call it my salary for the moment. That doesn't mean I don't have a lot of solid assets or characteristics or whatever it might be that I'm bringing to the table. So it's up to the other person to decide how they're going to judge that situation. So don't prejudge what you don't already know. They don't know your cards. So don't yeah. tell them the cards before they even know. And they might just by seeing you in that light, right? You don't know what their cards are either. They might see the outcome completely different than you do. So give yourself the best opportunity. It's about the pause. It's about thinking. It's about strategizing, right? It's about thinking what the other person's thinking, not just thinking about your own cards. You know, sometimes I hear people talk about, well, you know, they just got lucky. Well, my definition of luck is being prepared for opportunities. That's right who are prepared for opportunities do seem to be luckier, but it's not a coincidence. I would totally agree with that. Though I think, right, you might get some really good cards. You might get a pair of aces, but that doesn't mean you necessarily win. You still have to play with skill because you don't know what other information is going to come out on the table. You don't know what other people are going to do. So you have to have A, built up your skills and then B, be prepared, right, to take the risk when, we, we call it when your ship comes in. How do you grab on with both hands and and push at the right time? So you've obviously had a long, long list of successes in your life, in your career. And I'm sure there's been some failures, but maybe some failures with some silver linings in them. Could you talk about some successes and that you're particularly proud of and maybe some failures that actually had a silver lining in them? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. We always say we have more collective failures than most people we know combined. So um, the really interesting thing about coming from the trading world is that you're used to trading all day and having lots of failures. It didn't feel as emotional or traumatic as maybe it, it often does. And I'll say this last thing about failures, which is like your failures are part of your journey. Let's talk about relationships. There's no perfect relationship. It doesn't always go up. Well, money, what you take home from your work at the end of the day, how you feel about it and your money, that's not going to be perfect either. And then when you go to invest, that's not going to be perfect either. There has to be ups and downs. You don't get on a plane without some bumps on your journey. So if you expect your money to go one direction, you're likely not taking enough risk. And if you're expecting any of these journeys to be perfect, you're probably not completely understanding the, the, the journey you're about to approach or being really fully present in it. So successes, um, one I'm particularly proud of would be the one that most of your listeners would know about today. Actually, they wouldn't know about it, but when I tell you, we they are likely using our technology and that is the backend technology for the likes of SoFi, Ally, Webull, eToro, Public, Stash, almost 60% of the online retail broker dealers today use our backend technology. And that company is called Apex Fintech Solutions. In fact, Robinhood 
when they started Wellfront and Betterman, two of the very early first robo-advisors, when they got started, they used our technology. The reason I talk about that as a success for us is not because of where we are today, but because of where that started. And so that company was actually our very first company we bought and turned around. Uh, it's a fairly long story, but it's a clearing and custody firm. And we were using it ourselves for a company called Options House, which we built and ran for almost nine years, then merged and sold and eventually ended up under Morgan Stanley E-Trade. And that firm was clearing its trades and all of its money sat at this firm, Penson, and Penson got into trouble. There was announced fraud and the SEC came and, and asked us to buy it on a Monday by Friday. And oh, so we were quite a young company and it was quite a bit of risk. And of course, we initially said, no, find somebody else. Um, but we ended up doing it 13 days later and we had to put quite a bit of capital into the business to make it run. And then fortuitously, like you were talking earlier about the luck, we were working on the technology for ourselves at Options House and making new account opening technology. And that's when the new generation of online broker dealers came around, Robinhood, Wellfront, Betterment. And there was no new account opening technology out there. We were the ones. And so we got started having customers. And though Penson had a bunch of customers, we had gotten rid of a bunch of customers and we were really just focusing on the technology for ourselves. But the luck presented itself at a time when we had been preparing ourselves. So I think today, because we we represent more than 25 million clients out there today, we're really proud of the stability and wherewithal of that business. Even though Robinhood today does their own custody and clearing, but when you talk about, you know, scenarios like meme stocks back a little while ago and what happened to Robinhood, but what didn't happen to Apex and its clients, we're really proud of the knowledge base and the the collective understanding of how, you know, it's a very difficult industry because there's a lot of old pipes that exist and old regulations that exist. So it's very complicated. Yeah. And um, having been in the industry for such a long time, the trust and stability clients expect from us, you know, we can help hold up any of those most extreme moments. So that's a really proud yeah. moment for us. Well, that's a proud moment. That's an amazing, amazing yeah. success story. I, I love all of the analogies between the poker and life and, and careers. And why don't you tell a little bit more? And Beth, chime in if you've got some other questions here, too. I think, you know, maybe one of the most interesting things about poker power is that I didn't play poker. I didn't know the benefits. But once I started to play, my work, what I did every day, what I see in meetings, what I when I do a deal, when I have a conversation or a negotiation, all of a sudden I said, this this looks like my work. I had no idea. But the beginning of it was really for my daughter. That was about strategy. That was about decision making. That was about building confidence. So these two worlds collided when I started to teach my daughter and her friends. And I saw this one little door open me into this wide array of opportunities for practicing, building confidence in these different areas, deal-making, negotiation, setting a strategy and approaching a problem. I like to say, right, because I have four kids, three are boys and one's a girl. Not all boys are learning poker, but many of them are. And even if they're not learning poker, they are learning other things like 
in their hobbies and play, right? They might play ping pong, but they'll play ping pong for 50 cents or a dollar, right? They're playing games all the time where they're competing for something that's on the line. In our hobbies, most of our young girls aren't doing that. Maybe the closest we might get to it is in sports. So the boys are getting practice because every hand is an opportunity to see patterns, test strategies, see what happens when I fail. How does it feel? Oh, wow, I can get back to the table. What do I have to do? And how would I do it differently? And our young girls are not doing that. So when I started to learn and I started to see how it was applicable here, I thought to myself, gosh, if I had had this 10 years earlier, I would have saved myself. I mean, 20 years or whatever it might, you know, let's call it five years early. I would have saved myself five to 10 years of learnings that I had to do those compound experiences that I talked about in the beginning. So what I think is happening is men are playing, they're playing for fun. By the way, worst case, it's so much fun. Like that's why they're playing. But when you start to look around you and you see some of the, you know, the Bill Gates of the world or the, you know, our financial, you know, male leaders, poker is a really important part of their life and their, and they're growing up. And they would say that, um, you know, always laughing. Well, they're like more than 600 books written on poker. And it's not just about how to play. And there are women too, who have very distinctly talked about poker and life, right? But we haven't figured out how to cross that barrier. When women hear poker and I was this person, they turn away. They have, first of all, no interest. Why would you? I mean, you know, the stereotypes, why would you walk yourself into that? So there's really a force field that exists around that whole concept of playing this game, which it turns out can be really beneficial to life. And so when I started to learn that, I thought, well, why don't we teach our younger girls first? Because then by the time they get to be 21, they're coming out of college, they have similar experiences, they have you know similar abilities to men. And then we know the male, he takes the risk for that next job with 60% confidence when she doesn't take it with 90 plus percent until she has 90 plus percent confidence. If we can get them there, that was my goal. But it's really, really hard to get those young girls to believe they should play this game, right? So it's one thing for me with my daughter when she was 14, I always say, thankfully she was 14 because if she was 16 or 17, I might not have been able to make her play. But so she got to play at that really young age. But what we then found by the women at Peak Six, there's about 2000 people at Peak Six. When we started wanting to teach, we said, we want to teach your daughters and your nieces and your sisters, you know, bring them to us. The women at Peak Six said, well, if it's so good for them, why aren't we playing? And I thought, this is in the middle of COVID. I was like, I don't know. Let's, why not? And one thing led to another and Morningstar, actually large international firm, I'm sure you're familiar with, said, can we learn too? And today we're in 40 countries. We're over 150 companies. We've been teaching everybody from the Googles and AWSs to Northern trusts and the large banks, the large law firms, right? It's amazing who we've touched and why. What we realize is if we teach these women, hopefully they can very quickly realize they need to teach their daughters and their nieces, right? So, because if we can't get to them, at least they'll be able to get to them. And this really interesting thing has happened since I started talking about this out loud. Of course, I'm I'm in the fintech industry, so I, I speak to many, you know, fintech players, but the number of senior women. And I wasn't one of them, obviously, who actually played poker growing up, usually because of their grandmother, 
65% of these very senior women, I'm talking the most senior. So, you know, we know there's not that many of them out there, but like a crazy number of them learned to play poker growing up. From their grandmother, you said. From their grandmothers. That has been the consistent story. I met a lawyer just last week who's at the top of her game. She learned to play from her grandma. She says, besides my training at Goldman Sachs, my poker is that the two things I point to as the reasons for my success. I just love hearing that. And it it makes me sad to think of those generations before us of women who didn't get the chance that we're getting and hopefully the next generation will get more of. That's right. What a, what a, uh, a loss to our whole society. Exactly. Well, we always say in the very beginning, I said, Right. If there's, we, we don't, nobody knows the real number. Of course, there's so much poker that goes on that we don't, can't count. But of the poker, I think the last summer I saw about 120 million people in the world play poker, less than, you know, seven, eight percent are women. But what if half of the poker players in the world were women? How would the world be different? It reminds me of what we talk about at ABC to CEO or the, you know, we talk a lot about the behaviors that we want to see in young women, um, such as raising their hand for stretch assignments or promotions before they're ready, which you sort of uh, refer to taking a seat at the table, contributing when you have something to say, you know, not waiting to be asked to contribute, to jump in and and make a contribution because so much talent sitting on the sideline. And it sounds like what you're saying is if they actually knew how to play poker, it just builds that muscle. You're going to win when you have a losing hand. You're going to lose when you have a winning hand, but you're going to keep getting back at the table. and, And it gives you permission to practice skills and behaviors that actually help. Two things I want to say, but that muscle, when you say that, we talk about this as exercise a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So when you exercise, you're not going to lose weight or build muscle or all those things without doing it regularly, right? And poker is the same thing. We want you to play regularly. And what my daughter said, we, we did a TEDx together talk. She's, you know, you can play 30 to 50 hands in, you know, sort of 45 minute to an hour game once a week over 52 weeks in a year. You know, you're almost you're 5,200 practice sessions. Like what, what, how is that not beneficial relative? You know, there's a lot of tools and toolkits, but we're talking about a little bit of time and you get a lot of focused practice. It's really like exercise. When you play poker, the, the pros will fold their two cards they get. Everybody gets two cards in the beginning, 80% of the time. Now, when we're just teaching, the women are like, well, I'm, when, do, when do I play, right? So we teach them when to play. So our, our goal is after 30 minutes of lesson, you're actually playing in the next 30 minutes and you know how to play poker. You're not the best poker player in the world, but you know how to play the game enough that you could go practice. So we teach you what you're looking to play. So here are the three sort of types of cards you're looking to play. And the woman said, well, I never get the cards. And the teacher had said to her, well, next hand, I want you to go in. She's like, I'm not going to go in because I'm going to lose. I'm not supposed to play those cards. She said, I just want you to try. Well, she didn't try. So the next one she tries and she goes in and ironically, she plays two awful cards and gets a full house to your point. She didn't. (laughs) But the truth is that's so interesting about poker because if nobody ever played their cards, nothing would ever happen. Right. So there's aunties. They call them the small blind and big blind. So, and it goes around the table and you have to put them in. If you never play your cards, you will lose, period, right? You never say anything, you will lose. The opposite is also true, which is if you only play your best cards, you will also lose because the room will know your strategy. So So now what are you going to do? Because if you never play your cards, right? This is like going into a meeting and never speaking. People are going to wonder why you're there. And so, and by the way, if you never get the perfect cards, 
you'll walk out not having said anything. And the team doesn't know how much value you can add. So you're prepared. You, your curveball is not such good cards. What's happening in that meeting is not what you really thought was going to happen. You have to think on your feet. What is your strategy? What are you going to do in this scenario based on an unexpected action from a colleague, right? I think that player is that type of player. Hmm, not today. They seem really aggressive. I don't really understand why. They have a large chip stack. So what am I going to do? How am I going to respond? Because if I just keep folding to them, yeah. they really are, no, they're never inviting me back to the table. And how can you bluff if you're predictable? Exactly. You cannot. Yeah. You cannot. You have to keep them much, on your toes. And how much is business suffering by not having the best and brightest talent making the contribution? That's exactly right. We have to contribute. Every, you have to play the game, right? This is the, you can't stand in the room. You actually have to, we always say, you know, you can't just stand in the room and watch the meeting. You have to walk over, sit down, you have to play. And playing means you actually can't fold every time you have to play your cards because otherwise you'll lose hundred percent of the time. And, you know, and I, you know, the old adage, right. You take, you lose hundred percent of the shots you never take, but it is absolutely true for women going into a meeting and deciding not to speak. Right. right. So Annie Duke used to say, used to say this, which is quite brilliant is your chips are like your voice. You don't get any questions answered without putting your chips out there. You don't learn anything without speaking. So that now I, I get practice. And it's funny because it happens all the time. I will say high, high percentage, at least 90% of our women will initially, when we teach them to bet, we teach them to bet fairly aggressively. And you don't limp in, which is a poker term. Everybody feels uncomfortable doing it. Everybody. I don't care how senior or how junior they are. They're like, really? Three times the big blind? That's how much I'm going to put in? They would never do that. They would just test the waters. I'm going to go to that meeting. Maybe I'll raise my hand towards the end. Maybe I'll say something the next meeting, right? And each one of those steps is a lost opportunity. I've got a 13-year-old granddaughter. Guess what I'm going to be introducing her to? That's right. That's great. You'll be the, the you'll be you know the 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 grandma that she talks about someday is if it weren't for you. So I think that's really special. All right. Well, I think um, Jenny. Anything else? No. I mean, we're 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 like you, hoping to impact a, a million women to to play this game. And so people can find us at pokerpower.com. We'd love to see, we love to teach you. And we do everything from real life to um, virtual. And we just built the first gender neutral poker um, app. What we believe is the first gender neutral poker app that's out on the marketplace. So we're really excited to have recently rolled that out. Jenny, thanks so much again for coming on the show today. In closing, I want to remind everyone that ABC to CEO is a not-for-profit organization on a mission to inspire and prepare 1 million young women for top leadership. 